Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of the Purely Pigskin Podcast. I am your host, Pete Noyd. I'm excited today to be with my good friend, Ryan Tudor. Ryan and I have been friends since college, and uh, I'm really happy to have him on the show. Ryan, how you doing, man? Feel good, man. Good to get connected. Thanks for uh, letting me be a part of this thing. Hey, I'm so happy to have you be a part of this. And I I have to chuckle at this whole thing, actually, because looking back to those days, we haven't really connected much since we graduated together back in 2009. That was a lifetime ago. (laughs) It, It feels like a lifetime ago, but I remember you were our valedictorian, right? Yeah, that's... Listeners don't want to hear that story, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that I was always like, I thought that was so cool. I was like, oh man, I'm friends with the valedictorian, but um, yeah, it's amazing. We we literally have not seen each other since college, and to be perfectly honest, we've barely spoken, right? I think uh, from tw- 2009 onwards, you're one of the only guys who I think was doing mock drafts when I was doing mock drafts round one of the NFL. I knew a few guys in Vancouver at the time. So uh, I think that's when we would talk a little bit, seeing who had, who going where. And then, uh, you know, you always let me know what the Dolphins were up to. So I think those are my only memories of uh, conversations the last 10, 12 years, but we're back on track. So yeah, we're back on track. We're going to have to correct that moving forward, by the way. But one of my favorite stories, and this is actually prior to 2009. So I'm pretty sure I was still in school and I was working with youth uh, in the area, and we were putting on an end poverty concert in connection with World Vision, and it was a massive production. And I was really just there as a kind of a blue collar guy. I was helping to set up and tear down, and just helping to direct people and things of that nature. But it just so happened that it was on the night of the NFL draft, at least round one of the NFL draft, and I was so bummed out about missing that because even back then, I I never missed the NFL draft. I always wanted to watch it and, and see who was going where. And I remember I, I was texting you and you volunteered to send me the picks via text as they came in for the entire first round. Do you remember that? I don't, but... Uh... Oh, you don't even remember. Oh, geez. I thought, wow, that's so nice of him to do that. It's one of my favorite memories of you. No, just natural. I mean, just finding somebody else who wants to... Uh, how long is the first round of a draft? Five, six hours? I mean, it's... <laughs> it's a few hours for sure. 10, 15 minutes a pick. Uh, yeah, that was dedication on your part. In the trenches, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, doing the, I remember doing some mock drafts back then, and, and then I couldn't do them for a few years. I was just so busy. But it's always a fun exercise. And now we're back on the Purely Pigskin podcast. Don't call it a comeback, <laughs> but happy to get into this stuff with you. Absolutely, man. And today we're previewing the AFC South, an interesting division in its own right. When I think about this division, you know, I realize it doesn't quite have the history of other divisions. Not that the teams themselves don't have any history. I mean, obviously, there's history when you're talking about the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Oilers and the Houston Texans uh, in their previous iterations and the Colts obviously have a rich tradition going back to uh, Baltimore and beyond but as a division this still feels like you grabbed a few loose ends and threw them together and made a division so for people who have been watching football for a while the Colts used to be in the old AFC East uh, along with the teams that are still there 
In fact, at the very beginning of Peyton Manning's career, the Colts were still in that division. And so he and Brady were actually in the same division there just for a short little while before the change up there. Uh, so you've got them coming over. You have the Tennessee Titans, who used to be in the AFC Central, much of which is pretty much the AFC North. And then you've got two expansion teams, the Jaguars and the Texans. So there's not a ton of history between the teams. And so I think the rivalries aren't so deep felt as they are in some of the other divisions. You don't have a Packers-Bears in this division. So it's a, it's an interesting division to kind of size up. Obviously, the Colts have been the team that have enjoyed the most success going to the playoffs, winning Super Bowls with Peyton Manning, having those franchise quarterbacks. So we come into this season, and looking back, we had the Titans and the Colts at the top last year, both at 11-5. and five. The Titans won the division with the tiebreaker. And then you had a major gap down to the Texans, who finished 4-12, and and the Jaguars, who were 1-15 and and a league worst, and obviously, as we know, ended up with the first overall pick. So let's start at the top here with the Tennessee Titans, reigning division champs, and uh, let's take a look at them this year and, and see what we can expect from them. What are you looking at there with the Titans? Well, I think this is a good team, kind of top to bottom. On the offensive side of the ball, you're talking about True Belkow and Derrick Henry. Your committee backfields, which seem to be the norm these days, he's one of the few guys easily tote the rock 20, 25 times a game and does seem to have that straight line speed for a big guy. Tannehill, obviously, sort of reinventing himself on this side of Miami. I mean, I don't think necessarily an elite guy, maybe not in a Pro Bowl conversation, but solid. And uh, they're paying him now, obviously. But I think the key story on offense is uh, Julio Jones. Atlanta is its own separate conversation, obviously. But what do you think of that? uh, I mean, A.J. Brown, Julio combination on the edge. Do you think that's going to make this team more dangerous on offense? Yeah, it's a good conversation there. And I was actually really worried about the Titans early on in terms of the new calendar year. Because when they lost Jonu Smith at tight end and they lost Corey Davis, who I don't think it's a big loss, but he did have a good year last year. That's a lot of targets, obviously, missing and a lot of places for Tannehill to throw the football to, especially considering that Henry doesn't really catch the football out of the backfield. So I think they lost a lot initially in the offseason. Before they got Julio, I was thinking they might have to take a step back this year based on that alone. But then when they signed Julio, it really changed everything. Because even though Julio's in his 30s, he's going to command attention. He's a pro's pro. So he still he knows how to catch a football. He knows how to move the chains, all the veteran savvy you ever want. And I think he can still play at a high level. So I think actually the Titans are perhaps marginally better than they were last year, even though they lost two in terms of skill players and only got one of them back. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. I mean, uh, I don't know if you slide Josh Reynolds into that mix. Uh, they're not going to have a tight end in Jeff Swam that's going to do a ton of uh, damage. But lots to like there on offense and then on on the defensive side, I mean, you got uh, the addition of Bud Dupree is going to make this team scary off the edge. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is a interior defensive lineman you have to like. Brown Evans on the inside and, and uh, Kevin Biard, who is in that conversation of kind of elite level safeties, back end guys. You know, success breeds more success. I think this team has enjoyed it. Uh, didn't quite reach the heights of two years ago in the, the AFC championship game. But this is a tough team. This is going to be a tough out week in and week out. 
and seem to have enough sort of veteran confidence now that uh, that they're going to be expecting 11-12 wins, I think. Uh, not a lot of depth, though, behind Tannehill and Henry. So maybe this team offensively is uh, one injury away from, from needing some help. A lot to like. I mean... It, Pete, this is a team that is in the playoffs, don't you think? Pretty much a no-brainer on your predictions? Yeah, I think so. I think especially because of how weak this division is with respect to the Texans and the Jaguars, I can't really see them doing much of anything this year. And so it's hard to imagine that the Titans won't be in the playoffs. I look at them and, yeah, I think you've made a lot of good points there. They're a pretty well-rounded team. I'd give Coach Vrabel a lot of respect for the work that he's done there. There was a time when it seemed like none of Bill Belichick's disciples were doing much of anything in the league once they left New England. But Vrabel seems to have cut out a, a niche for himself and, and seems to have the respect of the players. As you mentioned, they, they seem to be sniffing around in the playoffs. And, they, of course, they upset Belichick in the playoffs just a couple of years ago. So, yeah, this team is definitely still trending upward. They're looking good. I think with the loss of Jonu Smith, that's going to be a big one because you mentioned uh, Swaim there, the tight end. We don't even know really if he'll be the starter or not. Anthony Ferkser's in the mix there. He's much more of a receiving threat than is Swaim. But at the same time, Ferkser, it's been well documented, is not a very good blocker. And ultimately, that's going to cost the team if he doesn't learn to pick that part of his game up. So they do have some question marks. Also on the defensive side of the ball, they lost corner Adderi Jackson and Malcolm Butler as well. So those are two veteran losses on the defensive side of the ball. They did, however, of course, draft Caleb Farley in the first round, also at corner. So he was highly heralded and that'll help them out. So a little uh, like-for-like switching in and out. I don't think overall it's going to impact them too much either way, but I think they'll be in the playoff mix for sure this year. That's where I expect they'll be. The sort of team you probably don't want to play, especially if they take the air of the ball in the second half or you're trying to close a deficit in in the second half of a playoff game. I I think they're going to be solid. Yeah, we'll we'll wait and see if they can make the jump to being uh, you know, in that conference championship game, and and I guess we'll see as the chip settles. Well, let's move on to the Colts then. The Colts, as uh, we mentioned earlier, finished second in the division with the same record as the Titans, but losing the tiebreaker. They've got Carson Wentz now at quarterback. Hopefully, I say, because he's dealing with some more injury issues. But the Colts look pretty good this year, and uh, I think they'll give the Titans a real run for their money. What do you think there? Yeah, I'm with you. I think this is a very solid team. team that did excellent on the defensive side. There, there's some there's some playmakers on offense, but when you're looking at Jonathan Taylor, I think you're talking about a guy who's really going to uh, sort of assert himself as the top eight, top ten running back in this league. I think that might just give them enough balance on offense not just Wentz, but I'm under the impression as well, Quentin Nilsson, all-pro guard, will be back for week one or thereabouts, but he's good as anybody on the interior offensive line. So those question marks are concerns for me, but uh, this is a solid club, no question about that. I mean, you want to talk about being well-rounded and being a tough out. I think the Colts are the epitome of that. I was looking at some of their uh, stats from last year, and they were an extremely balanced football team. And again, Uh, Much like Vrabel and the impact that he's had in Tennessee, I think Frank Reich has done a fantastic job since he's come over to be the head coach. Last year, the Colts were ninth in overall offense. That includes being 11th in the pass and 11th in the rushing game. So again, very balanced there. On defense, they were 10th overall in the league in total team D. They were just 20th in the pass, but second in rush defense. And then get this, even in special teams, they were first in the league in kick and punt returns, and they were first in the 
NFL in kick and punt returns against. So on both the offensive and the defensive side of the ball on special teams, they were first in the league. So this is a very well-rounded football team. It's no surprise to me that they are still trending upward and that they are going to be right there, I think, with the Titans again this year. Yeah, I mean, I think back to uh, playoffs last season, that wild card game with the Bills, and I don't think the Bills looked very good. It took them some time to build some momentum, and you knew sort of that veteran moxie of the uh, ageless wonder, Philip Rivers, that this was going to be a dangerous team. I, I think agree with everything that you said about uh, the coaching. It starts with Frank Wright. You remember the, the deep run with Philly, and then some uncertainty with Josh McDaniels. Do you feel like... Uh, that Wentz was the plan all along? Do you think that there were other names that sort of got kicked around? Just given the injury background, the fact that this might be playoff team again, when that season wraps up, were you thinking Rivers maybe runs it back for one more? Were you thinking that there was a draft pick, you know, sort of hedge your bets? Or did you think that for some reason on the scouting uh, or on the leadership, they were all in on Wentz? How do you think that kind of unfolded in the front front office in the offseason? You know, it's a great question. And, and Ryan, I have to say, I don't know if you've heard all the previous episodes, but I am a big fan of Carson Wentz, and, and some of the other guys I've had on have, have kind of questioned why I like him so much. I do think he was the plan, and I say that because he and Frank Reich have had a close relationship that they established in Philly, and uh, there's a, a mutual respect there, and I think they both kind of know what was going on behind the scenes back there. I think from Wentz's standpoint, he trusts Frank Reich and wants to play for him, and I think from Reich's perspective, he believes, like he truly believes. Sometimes you hear coaches come out and say, yeah, this this guy, he's our guy. We believe in him. But, you know, there's question marks behind the scenes. I really do believe that Frank Reich believes in Carson Wentz's ability and that if he can just get past some of these injuries, that he will rediscover his form from when he burst into the league and looked like an MVP candidate. Yeah, the success was there. I mean, when you look at sort of the wreckage now in Philly, I mean, it wasn't Wentz only. And then you got to ask yourself, too, about maybe who was the genius there. It wasn't Frank Reich because Foles hasn't gone on to enjoy much success anywhere else. That team sort of has imploded. So uh, I think everybody's looking for the fresh start. I, I just think the massive contract made it more difficult for him to start someplace else. In behind them, I do have questions with Jacob Eason, uh, Sam Ellinger, and Brett Hundley, who seems to be in the league a long, long time. This is a team that, that I think... If Wentz is healthy, this team is a playoff team. If not, I, I, I think they're going to maybe regress a little bit to uh, the 500 level. Can the defense win a few games? Absolutely. We could spend a lot of time talking about a guy like DeForest Buckner, just a monster there on the interior. And Darius Leonard is a guy who people are putting in their top five linebacker conversations, maybe even higher. So uh, this is an exciting team. I think if you're a Colts fan, you're happy to see how they've sort of emerged. There'll be a lot to like come this fall. Uh, again, assuming they can stay healthy, and that's a pretty big asterisk. Yeah, I do think there are some question marks here on this team and uh, that they'll have to overcome and will ultimately, I think, define their season. This will be Frank Reich's fourth year as head coach of the Colts, and it will also be his fourth starting quarterback. Uh, His first year, he had Andrew Luck. Luck promptly retired. They brought in Jacoby Brissett. He came in for a year, then they brought in Phillip Rivers last year and now Carson Wentz for this year. Now, in Reich's first three years, he went 10-6 and with Luck. After he retired and they traded for Brissett, they went 7-9, and nine, and then last year with Rivers went 11-5. and five. And I think last year was perhaps the most impressive because a lot of people thought Rivers was washed up before he got to Indianapolis. And for him to come in, learn a new system, have an effective season, and the Colts go 11-5, and five, I'd call that a success all the way around. 
So I think except for that seven and nine season, which I think you can excuse because Luck's retirement was very sudden. They didn't really have time to come up with a backup plan and not to uh, not to get on Brissett's abilities, but I'm not sure if I was putting the top 32 quarterbacks together, he'd be on the list. So I got to say, I think Reich has done a fantastic job. Well, let's flip things around here. We're going to go from the class of the division to uh, a couple of teams who have really struggled recently. We'll start with the Texans, who were 4-12 and last year. I think perhaps quietly, Deshaun Watson led the entire NFL in passing yards last year. But with all the offseason turmoil around him, there are a lot of question marks. Of course, people are still unhappy that they traded away DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals. For David Johnson, a guy who is now, at least as it stands, at the time of this recording, third on the depth chart at running back. So there's a lot of angry people within the Texans fan base. The team isn't doing well. They've got a new head coach in. Watson, of course, before all of his legal troubles, was demanding a trade. J.J. Watt has left the team. So this team has gone from a potential contender to a team that's pretty hopeless, I'd have to say. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're a Texans diehard fan. And again, it seems to be that that ball club with the, the star on their helmet gets most of the attention in uh, in Texas. But not a lot to like here. I mean, you're hearing that maybe Philip Lindsay's looking sharp. I mean, he always seemed to uh, be a tough runner in Denver. Maybe you're a big uh, Laramie Tunsil fan. If you feel like you got a premier left tackle. Beyond that, not a lot to get excited about. As you mentioned, it's not just the one issue. The legal trouble with Watson, but also the trade demands. Uh, this seems to be a, f- a front office that makes a lot of head-scratching moves. Some of that would have been attached to Bill O'Brien. Not a very strong drafting team uh, when it's all said and done. So if you're a diehard Texan fan, I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you're hoping for. I don't know what you're excited about. If you're a season's ticket holder, I mean, are, are you shelling out big money to get in uh, into Reliance Stadium to watch this team play? I don't quite think so. Like you, I think this could be a, a year to forget for all the off-the-field stuff, but also on the field, I think this team will struggle. Yeah, you'd have to think that getting a season ticket for the Texans this year is almost a colossal waste of time and money. Uh, unless you want to see the opponents, I mean, uh, or maybe get some uh, <laughs> some secondary sales, uh, but not there, not much there that I think you're going to uh, enjoy watching. Yeah, definitely. And this whole fiasco around Watson, I mean, first Watt said he wanted out, and then Watson said he wanted out. And at the time, Watson had all the power there because he was uh, showing himself to be a a great talent in the league and putting up big numbers. And so when he says he wants out, there's a lot of draw there and obviously a lot of interest league-wide. But then, of course, all these allegations came out and you know he went from having a lot of power in this conversation to having no power and at the same time devaluing himself, giving his organization little power to trade him because his value is now so low due to the allegations. So the Texans as an organization are in a really bad spot right now. I think it spoke volumes that uh, even though they didn't have a first or a second round pick in the draft this year, that in the third round with their first pick, they took a quarterback Davis Mills out of Stanford. Uh, That to me was a big statement that they are eventually probably sooner rather than later going to move on from Deshaun Watson but that doesn't mean that he's going to have a new home. What that means for this season is anybody's guess. Yeah, I think uh, you said it well. I mean, uh, I remember before the scandal sort of broke, there was some talk about why J.J. Watt was able to sort of pick his destination where the front office didn't seem to show the same support for Deshaun Watson, who uh, as much as you got to like J.J. Watt, Watson 
uh, easily the better player last year in terms of impact. Uh, you're talking about a, a team, the Texans, that hasn't had a lot of playoff success, but looking at the the history, division champ uh, six times, including 2015, 2016, 2018, and 2019. But yeah, this team's going in the, the wrong direction. Uh, you expect them to have two picks probably in the top 40 in the upcoming draft, and they're probably going to have to slowly rebuild. But again, I, but in the front office, a lot of you know bizarre trades, a lot of unusual moving around in the draft. Uh, I, I even think that that first round pick this year is a bit of a reach. So, uh, you know, you sometimes take your lumps if your team's rebuilding. But this is a this is the dumpster fire, Pete. I think this is the, the state of this franchise. Uh, yeah. Not just for this year, but the year after that and maybe the year following. So uh, if I have any Texan stock, I'm selling it like crazy, <laughs> just trying to get what I can and, and, uh, and go someplace else. So to those Texan fans uh, that are listening in. You know, maybe we can talk about the University of Houston basketball. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you still got to yeah. explain what's going on with the Astros. I mean, it's it's got to be a tough time to be a Houston fan uh, or a Houston resident. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be too many people shedding tears over the Houston Astros, but yeah, obviously there's a lot of turmoil down there in the sporting world, anyway. And uh, looking at this season, they're not going to do very well. I think. That's pretty obvious, but I'm I'm really worried for them as an organization down the line. They have little draft capital. They have little capital in terms of players that they can trade away other than Watson, who just killed his own value, perhaps, from a business side of things. So really, this team does not have a bright future. It's as simple as that. Which will, um, I guess, distinguish them from the, the final team that we'll talk about that does uh, potentially have some modest prospects for this year. But uh, looking beyond that, he seems to be in much better shape. Are you all aboard the uh, Trevor Lawrence train? Are you that guy? Are you uh, ready to shell out 120 bucks for a number 16 jersey? Where are, uh, where are you at on the, uh, on the QB1 in Jacksonville? Well, in, in terms of what I think he'll do in the NFL, I think he is the real deal. Sometimes you can overhype a guy who goes early in the draft, who's been pegged to go first overall and does so. But sometimes the guy's just that good. And I think Trevor Lawrence is a, just a top talent. I think he's going to have a very successful NFL career. My question, really, in terms of the Jags is, how long will Urban Meyer last as the head coach? Because uh, once again, we have this experiment of a college coach getting into the professional game. And let's be honest, the track record of these coaches coming into the NFL is not very good. And we're talking some of the top names uh, in college football. Nick Saban, Steve Spurrier, Chip Kelly's another one. I mean, they all come up, and then in a few years later, they're back in college coaching. Meyer especially never seems to stay in one place for too long, even in the college game. And, you know, you, you can speak to college athletes a certain way and have that almost command of respect but in the NFL, when you're talking to grown men, uh, if they don't like what you're saying, they're going to let you know about it. And not to mention the fact that Urban Meyer has had such a history of being at top schools where he's able to out-recruit everybody else. Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of good points there that I like. I think uh, following a track record of another team in this division, what the Colts did when uh, uh, throwing Manning to the Wolves, a bit of a baptism by fire, Peyton's first year in the league, I'd be tempted to do that with Trevor. I'm, I'm not quite so concerned about injuries. If you're Urban Meyer, is it Minshew or is it Lawrence uh, under center on week one? For me, I, I would put Lawrence in there. I don't have uh, exactly an ear to the ground in Jacksonville as to how his training camp has gone, but 
I remember Lawrence breaking into the college game in his first year, he almost took Clemson to the national title. So I bank on him picking things up relatively quickly. And yeah, the well-noted stat of Peyton Manning throwing the most interceptions in a season of any rookie speaks volumes. He just went into the Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago. So I this is one situation where I wouldn't be too worried. I'd let him know he's the guy, no matter what, win, lose, or draw, four interceptions. I mean, maybe you pull him in a few games if he's particularly poor, but other than that, I would just put him in there, let him learn on the fly this year, understand that you're not going to be making the playoffs regardless of how well he plays, to be completely honest, and let him let him learn that way. Yeah, I'm on board. I think I would do the exact same thing. Well, I think that I would be tempted to do that as well is uh, there's not a lot of veteran offensive talent, uh, at least at the skill positions. So those guys are learning as well. I mean, uh, massive uh, storyline last year with the success of Robinson at halfback. Uh, again, not a, p- a pick that you and I are crazy about, but uh, you add Travis Etienne to that mix. And then you got two exciting electric players, not necessarily the most consistent players in uh, LaVisca Chano and, and uh, DJ Shark. Uh, if you had to go over under on Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, I mean, I'm thinking of some of the controversies at the college level, some of his exits. I mean, some of those linked to, to health issues. I'm not exactly sure what the background is. Give me an over under on two and a half seasons at the helm in Jacksonville. How, how long is Urban Meyer going to be coaching this NFL, Pete? Well, if you had given me the three and a half, I would have taken the under in a heartbeat. I, I don't think he'll last in Jacksonville too long. In fact, you might remember, too, that one of his first coaching hires was a guy that had a lot of controversy in the college game, and he subsequently fired him less than a week later, I think, uh, because of all the uproar. So Meyer really isn't off to a good start in Jacksonville. I really can't see him being there for very long at all. So if you're going to press me on two and a half rather than three and a half, you know what, I might just take the under because whether or not he develops Lawrence, I don't think is going to be a deciding factor in whether he stays or he goes. If Lawrence struggles, I think Urban Meyer goes. If he turns out to be great early on, uh, I still think Meyer might get fired because the team's so bad and they want to get a winning team around Lawrence. So I don't think that for Meyer or for the organization, the leash is going to be very long at all. So I'm going to take the under on two and a half years, actually. Fascinating. I, th- I think for me, two and a half is a good number to have that conversation without overstating it. I think you and I could develop Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I think that's how much uh, raw <laughs> talent this guy has. Um, on the defense, all right, side throw, of- the, throw the deep out there. <laughs> all right. Good job. I don't I'm think coaching needs, Trevor uh, Lawrence. Hey, just like a good, uh, a good meal. It doesn't need a lot of salt and pepper at the table. I think he's uh, good to go. Uh, I like Josh Allen, maybe take another step forward in his development on the defensive side of the ball. I think a guy like Miles Jack is solid. Calavion uh, Chason, uh, LSU defender, second-year linebacker. Uh, there are some pieces here, and uh, I maybe have made this point two or three times already. I think, unlike the, the Texans, the Jacksonville is kind of rebuilding the right way with the exception of the ATN pick. So uh, who knows where we're at two or three years down the road, and uh, maybe we're talking about a team that's a, a perennial contender. Uh, I don't know what the comparisons are, not not necessarily the profile, but when you think about what Mahomes could come in and do in KC, uh, maybe they had a little bit more success there before with Alex Smith, but you think about Baker Mayfield. Getting a good quarterback, you think about Josh Allen in Buffalo, who just signed a massive contract. Getting an elite-level quarterback one in the draft, top end of the draft, can really uh, turn the table on a team's success. I think big picture, that's the conversation we're having with the Jaguars. 
Yeah, I think no question. If you had to, if you made me decide whose whose team and assets do I want between Jacksonville and Houston, I'd, I'd have to go Jacksonville. Absolutely. Yep, I think that's where we're at. All right. Well, let's move into prediction time. Uh, as mentioned last year, the Titans and the Colts were top of the division. Texans and Jags were distant third and fourth. What do you see happening in 2021? Yeah. With the injuries concerns, as we've noted already, and just sort of building on uh, what seems to be a foundation of success, uh, I, I think the Titans lock up this division, let's say, with two games left to play. And then at that point, it becomes a seeding conversation in the AFC. I'm in on, on the Colts being uh, in the wildcard conversation. Uh, I think there's a really good defense, as I mentioned already. I think uh, picking up probably four wins, if not three at the least, uh, and their two home-and-home games with uh, the Texans and the Jaguar leaves the Colts in pretty good shape. Uh, who knows if there's a little bit of play, player movement to solidify that offensive line and maybe better backup quarterback, I guess time will tell. Uh, I think it depends in some ways uh, what you think the other divisions are going to do and if some of those other divisions are going to beat themselves up a little bit. Uh, but I, I think, uh, as we mentioned already, the Colts are going to be playing meaningful games uh, straight through the end of the wire. And uh, yeah, look for them to be in the wild card conversation. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say I really want to put the Colts in the top spot here. I really want to predict that the Colts will win this division because I think just like last year, it's going to be real tight between them and the Titans. But I think with the injury concerns around Wentz and at the left, left tackle position with Eric Fisher, it's just too much. There's too much question marks there. I love the team. I love the coach. I love how well balanced they are. And I love Carson Wentz. I still love Carson Wentz, but the injury concerns there, there's just too much. I can't, I can't put them ahead of the Titans. So I, I'm going to go with the Titans. I think the Titans win the division and make the playoffs. I think because of the injury, the injury concerns to the Colts, that puts them on the bubble to make the playoffs. Otherwise I'd have them in for sure. And the Texans and the Jaguars, you know what? I'll, I'll actually put the Jaguars third ahead of the Texans because I, I I have to say, I think they're both going to be terrible. And how here's a little over-under for you. How about a little over-under, a combined three-and-a-half wins for the Texans and Jaguars? You taking the over or the under on that? I'm going over. I mean, I think part of it is now that we got a, a 17th game, I think uh, potentially bumps <laughs> that number. Uh, now, what about three-and-a-half if you remove their games against each other? Because uh, unless they tie and, and – I hate to say it, Pete, these teams are so filthy, they might just tie twice. <laughs> uh, I think there's just enough scraps there. I, I think uh, I'm expecting both teams to to be drafting in top five, top six yeah. come next April. These two teams might scratch each other's back and split the season series to ensure that neither of them go over this season and go with the first 0-17 season in NFL history. <laughs> that we're having that conversation uh it's just a, a reality check for those two ball clubs. That's that's how bad it is for these two. Okay, let's move over to the fantasy side of things. You're a fantasy guy, right? Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't, maybe 15, 20 years, I'm not sure. Uh, things have sort of shifted in that landscape. I now find myself in 12-team uh, in leagues and uh, something that somewhat of a recent development uh, on the half PPR level, which I think is the, the best format. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't miss um, – I mean, I miss a lot of titles, but I don't miss a season. I'm in uh, each and every time. <laughs> uh, so let's start talking about some of the players then in this division that are going to be key fantasy players or perhaps guys that come up and surprise who you got your eye on. Well, in terms of 
the conversation, I, I think the best conversation, where do you slot Derrick Henry? Where are you taking that guy? And then how does he slot based on the other sort of elite level running backs? So as I mentioned uh, a little earlier to you, I, th- I think McCaffrey for sort of the dual threat is the guy I'm going to take a little higher. I'm not so sure on Alvin Kamara just with the, the change of quarterback between, uh, I guess it's Winston and uh, Hill out there, right, competing for that job. So I, I think uh, the question I throw to you between Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Zeke Elliott, is is Henry the best of those three? If you're you know drafting second or third, and McCaffrey and Henry are there, is there enough to like uh, kind of the high floor steady production of Derrick Henry? Talk to me a little bit about how you see him slot in at the top of the running back tiers. Well, I think McCaffrey's my number one. That's for sure. Uh, after that, I think everything is debatable. I put Dalvin Cook in that mix as well. I think he's right up there. But I look at a guy like Derrick Henry, and he's the exception to the rule. You want to talk about PPR, points per reception. Whether it's a half a point or a full point, normally you want to go after those backs that are involved in the passing game. Derrick Henry is not that guy, but he is the exception to the rule because he is so good at running the football, and the Tennessee Titans are pretty darn good at running the football as a team, that he is a guy I would have on any team no matter the settings and he's definitely ranked in my top five of running backs, no matter the settings. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you, you take him in the first round, and you're happy to get him, and you start to build your team around him. Not a ton of guys in behind him competing for touches. I mean, uh, I do sort of like Darrington Evans as a little bit of a deeper sleeper, or maybe even a bit of a handcuff. Uh, again, the handcuff rule it doesn't really apply to Derrick Henry as well, because uh, he seems to get stronger and stronger as the games go on, and uh, almost seems to invite contact. Sticking with the running backs, so talk to me a little bit about Jonathan Taylor. I've mentioned in this episode already, I'm a big Jonathan Taylor guy. I like the running style. I like the way that offense has some balance. If you're drafting late first round, is there a scenario in which you take Jonathan Taylor there, or, or are you not touching him until the second round? Where What do you think about a guy like that? I think certainly in a 12-team league, Jonathan Taylor is uh, is right, right in that first round mix uh, towards the back end. I think he's a great young running back, and I think he'll be very much involved in the Colts' offense this year. But I have to admit, Naheem Hines is so talented. No matter how good Taylor is, he's not going to keep Naheem Hines off the football field. They're both great in the passing game, but I do think that Reich will want to protect Taylor. And between that and Hines' own ability, I think Hines is going to have a real carved-out role for himself there. And he's shown that he can do really well, even as the lead guy. So, you know, if Taylor were to go down, one thing's for sure, like if I'm drafting Jonathan Taylor, I'm definitely looking to get that handcuff in Naheem Hines because I think Naheem Hines is one of the top five handcuffs in the entire league. Yeah, he's there. I I totally agree. And especially if you're in a full PPR format. I mean, he's going to have some afternoons, depending on game flow, where he's picking up, you know, six or seven catches in the second half, particularly if they're trying to rally from behind. So... Uh, I like that as a handcuff. Again, it partly depends on draft order, I think, where you're getting your running backs and then what you're deciding to do in terms of a strategy. If we can't shift to the to the QBs, I mean, I don't know if anybody's uh, too keen on Deshaun Watson, Tyrod Taylor. Maybe, maybe in the deepest of two quarterback leagues. Uh, that's not a format that I'm uh, that I'm playing anyway. Maybe, maybe you wait on Carson Wentz to be sort of an injury or a bye week fill later on. Uh, but this is really a division about two guys, I think. Uh, how high is Ryan Tannehill and uh, how much upside with Trevor Lawrence on the fantasy side. I mean, we're both pretty bullish on his development. 
as a pro, but is this a guy who uh, you take a flyer on towards the end of your draft? Is this a guy who could be a QB1 for you in a 12-team league? Uh, I think those are some of the questions. So did you want to start with Tannehill or do you want to start with Lawrence? Yeah, well, let's start with Tannehill. You know, I'm, I like Tannehill. I appreciated him as a quarterback, even in Miami. I, I like to say it's not his fault he was taken so high by the Dolphins, a guy who was a converted wide receiver, bit of a reach for the Dolphins, quite frankly, in the draft to take him that high. But I always rooted for him to do well, and he showed a lot of toughness in Miami uh, with not a, a lot of talent around him. So, you know, people, I think, in Miami, obviously, he wasn't one of the greats. He's certainly no Marino but uh, who everyone compares <laughs> to, uh, who plays quarterback in Miami. But Tannehill did have some decent years in Miami, and it was just kind of unfortunate that he never took the next step and that the team never took the next step around him. But he has really, as you said, carved out that spot for him in Tennessee. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league since he came to Tennessee. And now that said, I was starting to fade all of the Titans offensive players in fantasy before the signing of Julio Jones, because I thought that was really going to hurt him having only essentially AJ Brown to throw to. And if let's be honest, if another team wants to, wants to double team a guy and take him out of your game plan, they can do it. The trouble comes with when you have other weapons for that team to, to be afraid of, and then you know, you can't double them all the time. But with the addition of Julio Jones, you know, they're not going to be able to double A.J. Brown now. You have to respect Jones's ability even at this point in his career. And I think Tannehill will have another serviceable year. It's tough. He's, he's kind of one of those guys where I don't necessarily want him. I will take him at a price or, a, or at a certain place, a certain round in the draft if I need a quarterback. But I don't think he's ever going to break into that top tier of quarterbacks. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think you're necessarily coming out of the draft excited about having him as your QB1. Uh, depending on where you take him. Uh, I'm seeing him ninth round, 10th round, in around players like Matt Stafford, Tom Brady, in around Jalen Hurts. When we looked at the numbers from last year, I mean, 3,800 yards uh, isn't a massive season by any stretch, but uh, 33 TDs uh, to seven picks. Something I was surprised to see, seven rushing touchdowns, uh, which is puts him on 40 total touchdowns, uh, is a massive year. I, I think if you have some dynamic players elsewhere, this is a high floor guy, but the completion percentage is going to distinguish him as a pro in winning games. It doesn't mean anything in the fantasy conversation, but two years ago, above 70% completion last year, uh, just shy of two thirds. So this is a, an efficient guy. He's not going to make big mistakes. He's not going to blow a lot of weeks, but maybe not the most exciting guy. Who would you say is the QB one this year in this division? I'm a, I'm a guy who, uh, as far as quarterbacks go, I'm just looking for steady production. I think you I think you go Tannehill and you're you're happy with that. You know I don't know how much the the moral reasons factor into it, but but I'm not touching Deshaun Watson at all. Uh, I think potentially the most likely scenario is he doesn't play it down all season. The NFL is is a bit inconsistent, can we say, or a bit bizarre in their disciplinary action. Uh, I'm not even sure how that's going to play out. So because of the, the the mix of weapons, because of favorable game flow, uh, because he doesn't make mistakes, I think uh, I think Tannehill is your guy. But as we said already, he's not going to factor in that top six, top seven QB conversation. Uh, I think you take what you have in him and uh, look to find some dynamic players elsewhere. Yeah, I'd say probably, again, going back to the injuries on the Colts, you'd have to put Tannehill number one in terms of a quarterback for this division in fantasy. But if Wentz is healthy, I think he really will have a good year. And uh, I might even put him in that number one slot. So 
I think a high ceiling but a low floor for Wentz as it is for a lot of other guys in this division. Uh, regardless, it's going to be an interesting year in the AFC South. That's going to wrap it for this division. Thanks so much for coming by today, Ryan, and we're going to have to do this again, previewing the AFC North, a very tough division next week. Yeah, thanks for the time, the conversation, and I look forward to engaging with anybody who is listening, and uh, yeah, we'll look forward to doing it again. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to hear from you next week. Take care.